I think some of the obstacles is really um, not taking the time to see or to understand that that there are differences and so consequently we don't even um, try we stay in our own um, little bubbles we get comfortable it's routine you know, we stay there we hang out um, in our own spaces so getting out and experiencing um, other types of things can be a barrier I think there are a lot but in my opinion the, the biggest obstacle is not understanding each other, not reaching out of your comfort zone and trying to understand or learn something about so in, in a church and everybody looks different from you, sometimes it can be, um, maybe you feel uncomfortable and so um, that can lead to disunity. And another barrier could be is that people are so afraid of offending another person until they don't say anything or they won't interact because there's this fear that um, they will get it wrong. Maybe some church is trying too hard to, to be diverse and, and uh, you know, so that it comes off kind of fake and, and, and not really genuine. And I think if people would cross some of their, uh, you know, get out of the comfort zone and try to meet somebody else on their own turf, uh, some of the misunderstanding about race would be uh, handled different and I think we'll have a better understanding of each other. Good morning church family, glad to see you today. Uh, I'm Randy, if this is your first Sunday here and we're just delighted uh, that you're here particularly this morning. This is Kevin Jackson, Kevin is one of our elders here at Windsor Road and we are in a series uh, during the month of September called Skin Deep. Uh, faith and race in the church, and uh, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, walls, obstacles, walls to racial unity. And uh, last week we talked about myths, and uh, this week uh, walls. Uh, the next two Sundays we're going to be talking about. Come back up here, Kevin. Sorry, <laughs> we're not done. <laughs> we just got started. <laughs> just need to wet the whistle a little bit. <laughs> um. So we're, we're focusing on the challenges these two weeks, and um, next two weeks we're going to be talking about uh, the opportunities and the answers um, as to how we can, can live as a people of God. And so, so the operative word today is walls, um, and for starters, I want to uh, begin our conversation with a story about Bambi. Because that fits. Great article. It's titled, Deep in the Forest, Bambi Remains Cold War's Last Prisoner. Uh, it has to do with the Iron Curtain, um, which was a um, barrier that separated uh, Western Europe, democratic Europe, from Eastern Europe. Communist Europe. Um, and in fact, there's a, there's a part of the Iron Curtain, the wall that uh, separated East versus West. And that wall, in a particular 
portion of Europe separated two populations of deer uh, uh, between the borders of Germany and what is now the Czech Republic. And when the government began to uh, dismantle this wall, right around 1989, about the time when the Berlin Wall fell, uh, these physical barrier, the physical barrier between these two populations of deer uh, was removed. Uh, fast forward about uh, 10 or 11 years, uh, around the year 2002, wildlife biologists quickly began to realize that the deer living in Germany were not migrating over uh, to the Czech Republic, and the deer living in the Czech Republic were not migrating over into Germany. Both populations of deer were still behaving as if the wall was still there. Uh, one wildlife bi biologist put it this way. In the past, the deer didn't go to the Czech side because of the fence, but now the fence is gone, they still stop at the border. They still stop at the border. So they begin tracking the movements of these deer through GPS collars. And they track one particular deer who seemed to represent the entire population. This deer's name uh, was not Bambi, but Ahornia. Ahornia. And during the time that Ahornia was monitored, her location was tracked more than 11,000 times in Germany. Let's see this next slide. So all of those red dots uh, represent uh, where Ahornia was tracked. And as you can see, uh, uh, not one time is she tracked in the Czech Republic. She was tracked at the border of the two countries several times, but uh, never crossed the border once. Here's what's interesting about Ahornia. The land that... Uh, was formerly occupied by a fence and guard towers. That's been turned into a haven, a wildlife haven, a large and thriving <coughs> nature preserve. So the land beyond the fence has become a perfect home for deer like Ahornia and her family, and yet she will not enter. Okay? That's fact number one. Interesting fact number two is this. Ahornia was born... 18 years after the destruction of the Berlin Wall and the fence that comprised the Iron Curtain. So she has no physical memory whatsoever of the fence's existence, and yet she is still blocked by it. That is fascinating. And of course, wildlife biologists want to know why, and uh, there's been explanations in terms of you know, modeling by her family and her parents, et cetera, et cetera. But the best explanation seems to be this. One wildlife biologist put it this way. The wall in the head is still there. The wall in the head is still there. And so I want us to talk about these walls. Uh, these walls to racial unity, walls that may still exist in our heads. And um, earlier this year, I met with Kevin Jackson and Katie Pesson. Uh, Katie is our worship ministries director, and we began thinking about the different topics for this uh, particular series, Skin Deep. And uh, the more we talked, Kevin, the more it made sense for you to be a part of this teaching time. And so I'm so happy that you're here, and I want us to talk about two specific walls uh, this morning. Uh, but before we talk about those walls, I want to talk about why it's important to talk about these walls. Sure. 
<laughs> Happy to do that. <clears throat> um, uh, well, the reason why it's important to talk about these walls comes back to, to something that, that Randy talked about last, last week, and that is our destiny. As a family of believers, we have a destiny. And he talked about the passage in Revelations where uh, that people from all nations, tongues, and races um, would bow before God and worship as one. That's our destiny. And so our goal today should be to reflect our destiny. That should be our goal. But for this destiny, this worship, this family worship to be authentic, it can't be just about people of different races being in, under one roof for an hour a week. Um, for it to be authentic, there has to be relationships across these races. Um, we have to allow those to develop and nurture them. Um, and that's why it's important to talk about these walls, these things that get in the way of us playing our role in in reflecting our destiny as a community of believers. So, yeah, uh, I mean, what we talked about last week in terms of every tribe and every ethnicity and every race and every nation and every tongue gathering around the throne, that's the real world. That's right. Uh, that's the real world, and uh, it's the world to which we've been called, and God, God calls us to become what he already says we are. That's right. And so yeah. that's our destiny. Yeah. That said, let's talk about the walls then. Uh, what's the first one? Well, before I kind of lay that out there, uh, I just want to say that I am not a wall expert. Um, I can't construct walls and, and not particularly good at demolishing. Um, but, but there are some walls um, in this context that I think um, are things that are just based on my experience, um, things that I've struggled with and in, in some ways continue to struggle with. Okay. Um, the first wall is um, the wall of fear. Mm-hmm. And we, we heard it talked about up here a little bit, the wall of fear. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want to kind of give the impression about fear that I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, you think there's going to be a brawl in the sanctuary or something like that. It's not physical harm that, that we are necessarily fine. Uh, fearful, um, but it, we fear situations. We fear being put in these situations or these settings that make us uncomfortable, and, and so that's kind of where I'm going with, with fear, and, and the first kind of category or source of fear is this fear of offending or being offended. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a good place to start, and in, in the basic premise, you know, it starts with who am I? Am I black, or am I African-American, or... Is it Latino or Hispanic? Um, white, are you white Caucasian, or Caucasian? Yeah, I'm an Okie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. See, we're friends. <laughs> There's no fear of offending hey, here, folks. I can tell you that right now. No, uh, no but that's yeah. what we do is you know, these relationships are about investing time, investing and often, when that investment in kind of lends itself to there being greater risk, a risk of offending, we just kind of skip it. We don't want to go there. We don't want to be in that situation where we might, where we might run into that issue. So we, so we skip it. And kind of a, related to that is the, the fear of, of just saying something dumb. I don't want to say something dumb. 
And I had this happen just recently where uh, the elders, the eldership team, just went on a retreat a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weekends ago. And as we were trying to think about where to go, we were threw out some ideas. We knew there's some places in southern Illinois, there's some places in Indiana, Indiana, and I was thinking, okay, um, I have heard that there are some places in those areas that might not be as welcoming to me as a black person. Mm-hmm. And so I raised my hand and said, you know, maybe we should think about this because I'm, I'm not sure that they would be as welcoming to me and they may not be welcoming to you for bringing me along. Um, and that was a risk, I guess, of, of, of saying something dumb. And I was really uh, proud of our eldership team for how we handled that, that conversation. So, and I, I guess I, you know, the risk was that they, they, would, they would call me oversensitive or think I was being silly. But... But instead, they, they handled it with grace, and we had a good conversation. And what's interesting is that this thing, this issue that, that might have been something that would cause tension or angst, I really think it turned out to um, bring us closer together, yeah. helped our friendship grow. Yeah, I mean, just recalling that, that not being on our radars, yeah. you know, it's on your radar, we want to know. Yeah. And I can't read your mind. That's right. And so um, just the communication was, was, was healthy and mature. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. What are some other fears? So fear of offending or being offended? Um, well, this is one that, that I've faced, this uh, fear, of, fear of what your own race might say. Okay. By forging a, a meaningful, mature relationship with someone uh, of a different race. Um, and so that represents another wall. Have you experienced that? Um, well, uh, I, I couldn't help but recall my time as a, as a college student. I, I went to the University of Texas at Austin, a uh, great institution, by the way. Um, but I, I lived in the dorm, uh, the, the dorm. Jester Hall had about 5,000 residents in Jester Hall. So it was huge. And in fact, it was designed by people who designed prisons. <laughs> And, uh, uh, and if you've ever worked in a dorm, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> so I was an inmate there. And, uh, but one of the things that was a tradition was that uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of black students would congregate in the, in the lobby of, of the dorm. And so I would come in from outside and I'd have to go through the lobby and, uh, to get to the elevator, so I'd go through the lobby and have some expectation of a, you know, what's up, or a, hey, how's it, you know, a little head nod or something like that. And I wasn't getting it, and I was confused. Hmm. What's going on? And uh, so I asked a friend of mine, what, what's, what's up with that? What's going on? And she said, well, it's probably because you have too many white friends. Hmm. And, and that was really revealing to me um, because... Um, I do think that we do live in a society that, that wants us to pick. Yeah. You choose sides. Are you on the black side, the white side, the Latino side, the mm-hmm. Asian side? Pick a side. Um, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. And so it represents this wall. When you have to pick, mm-hmm. or you feel like you have to pick, 
it's hard. Mm-hmm. It serves as a wall. It makes you wonder whether or not investing in these relationships across races is, is worthwhile. That kind of takes us into this third category, subcategory of fear. So, you know, the fear of uh, offending or being offended, the fear of what those in my own race would say, and what about the other? The fear of rejection. Okay. The fear of rejection. And um, I, I'm not necessarily proud of the fact that I still struggle with that at times. Mm-hmm. That uh, wondering whether or not someone's going to, uh, you know, I kind of walk in and think, well, we don't have anything in common. They're not going to like me. They won't understand me. I won't understand them. And uh, are, are you, Kevin, are you talking about fear of rejection from your own race or from another race? From another race. Okay. From another race. And um, I can recall, um, even as we said last service, church shopped, but then I corrected myself. We church browsed. <laughs> we didn't shop. Um, you know, when we would go to a, a, a congregation that was uh, all white, I, I was, I had that thing, that little angst about whether or not people would be receptive, whether I would be welcomed, mm-hmm. whether I would get ostracized or, or looked at strangely. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I, I know that that's, uh, that's happened uh, on the other, the other direction, right? I've asked a friend, would you be willing to go to a a predominantly black church with me, and she happened to be white, and it was no go. Mm. Um, she was scared. It's too much emotional angst that the <sighs> thought of being yeah, yeah. subjected to the gaze. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think, again, it wasn't, you know, fear of getting jumped in the parking lot. Right. But it was, you know, this idea that I'm going to be put in a situation where I'm going to be uncomfortable because I'm not going to be uh, accepted yeah. as readily. Or even, you know, what are you doing here? Did you make a wrong turn? You know, yeah, type of thing. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend just. I had a friend of mine. He was just telling me about a going into a barber shop, kind of mistakenly, and that was a white person who went into a black barber shop. Whoa, how y'all doing? <laughs> but it was a good enough coupon that he stayed and got a haircut and <laughs> enjoyed the haircut. Where are our coupons today? (laughs) That's funny. Well, these fears, uh, and um, these fears can dominate just other dimensions. I'm I'm looking at our chairs, and I know you all have orange slips that talk about Celebrate Recovery. And um, Gary Wackerlin, who uh, helps lead our Celebrate Recovery team, has often told me that it's that, it's that first visit mm-hmm. that's often the, it's that wall of fear that's right. uh, that in, encompasses um, folks from, and keeps them from coming to celebrate recovery or, or can keep uh, us from, uh, you know, crossing racial lines and extending love and friendship. And so, so what is the, how does the gospel, how does the gospel take that wall down, Kevin? How does, the, how, does, uh, how does the good news of Christ dismantle this, this uh, really multidimensional wall of fear? Well, uh, Paul gives us some great insight. Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. And in, in chapter 8, verses uh, 11 through 15, uh, Paul says, And if the spirit of him 
who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. He lives in you and in all of us believers. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we all cry, Abba, Father. So it's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit knowing that we have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that can keep us from succumbing to fear, Mm -hmm. that can get us over that wall. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess there were a couple of things that I I took from this passage that I thought were were important, Um, understanding that, you know, as a believer, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that this person, perhaps of another race that I am nurturing a friendship with, that they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit too. Mm-hmm. It's great to be reminded of that, but, but it gives me, gives me kind of two thoughts. One is that um, as I'm thinking about whether or not I should invest in these types of relationships, these risky relationships, mm-hmm. I should have an expectation from my brother or sister in Christ that they would give me what Bill Heibel calls an umbrella of grace. Mm-hmm. An umbrella of grace. In other words that my expectation should be they won't hold things against me. Mm. If I say something offensive, that they'll help me to do better mm-hmm. and not hold it against me. Um, that they won't reject me. Mm-hmm. That they will understand that, okay, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm an okie and I may say something not smart every now and then. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'm testing that grace, man. Uh, but that's... But besides that, besides, besides ex- and that expectation of grace, um, I should also be quick to extend grace. Yeah. That when someone tells me something that may initially offend me, that I give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Give them some room. Give them some rope. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so those are, um, those are the ways that I think the Holy Spirit, you know, addresses this, mm-hmm. this wall. I mean, just like last week you said, the, question, the answer to every question is Jesus. Yeah. Well, work last week, it'll probably work pretty good this it week, too. will work this week, yeah, absolutely. What's, uh, where have you seen that around here? Where have you seen uh, this, um, this principle in play? Well, I, I, we've been blessed in this church um, because just a couple of weeks ago when we had people who came back from their mission trips to Peru or the Dominican Republic and they came and they spoke to us about mm-hmm. their trip. And many of them talked about the fear that they had in making that trip. They were some, there was some legit fear. Mm-hmm. And yet they, they overcame that. Yeah. They got past that fear. And what they found were relationships. They found relationships, and you see pictures of, of some of the people that went on that trip in tears as they left, mm-hmm. fearful when they left uh, to go to those trips, um, but saddened that they had to come back. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And that, I think that's a great image for us, mm-hmm. that, that what they were able to do is get past those walls. And some got, found themselves relating so well with these people of different cultures that they've thought about trying to make them part of their own nuclear family. They see that they're family. I, um, I found a quote about this wall of fear. People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other. Amen. Uh, I, well, go ahead. I was going to say, that's, I think that's right on. Yeah. Wall of fear. Uh, we have time for another wall. Let's talk about uh, the second wall. What is it? The second wall is, <laughs> okay, I, I understand that this is not the simplest way to say it, but I, I've kind of termed it absolute perspectivism. Absolute perspectivism. Um, Unpack that a little bit, Kevin. I'll do that. <laughs> I'm not sure that perspectivism is an actual word, but, so I probably made it up. But this is what I have in mind by this idea. And many of us have different perspectives. We you know, approach life um, with different perspectives. Uh, sometimes um, these perspectives or opinions that we have, uh, we consider them to be the right perspective, the correct perspective, the absolute perspective. Well, people that are from different races, um, they often have different perspectives and um, Things that happen in the natural world, they interpret them differently. Mm-hmm. And um, so the problem comes is, is when we have this absolute perspectivism mm-hmm. and we make some assumption that people who have a perspective or opinion that differs than ours, uh, they're either naive mm-hmm. or ignorant mm-hmm. or you know, especially when it comes to politics, we think they're enemies. And, you know, that's a real concern. Now, I, I want to be careful here. I don't, I'm not making the case for relativism, right? I'm not saying that, there, that there's no absolute truth. There's an absolute truth. Absolutely. The scripture, the scripture is absolute truth. Yeah. Uh, the problem comes is when we don't discern between absolute truth and our perspectives. Uh, and the thing that comes to my mind uh, from the New Testament is and Paul talks about this regarding food sacrifice to idols mm-hmm. in the first century um, where um, food would be available there in the marketplace and, mm-hmm. and food that had been um, uh, offered as a, um, as a sacrifice or an offering to an idol. Mm-hmm. And some Christians in the first century just could not conscientiously share in that food, um, um, while other Christians, they thought, it's food, mm-hmm. and the idol is nothing. That's so right. you had these different opinions or perspectives, uh, which, uh, uh, which did not represent absolute truth, the deity of Christ, the resurrection, uh, the authority of God's word. That's right. You had these different perspectives on what uh, Paul calls disputable matters. That's right. Dis- yeah, that's right. Uh, and I think, 
what's important is that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that we should all have the same perspectives, right? The, I guess the issue becomes when, um, when we use these differences in perspectives to make some assessment or some judgment about the other person. If we see a perspective, someone has a different perspective that we don't understand, mm-hmm. right, we don't get, um, we have a, a, a risk, there's a susceptibility for us to, to make some assessment about that person's values mm-hmm. um, or make some judgment about that person's sincerity as a believer. Mm. Um, and that precludes us from, from developing and nurturing mature relationships with them. And, and we don't make the perspective that we happen to have our primary identity. Absolutely. Our primary identity is who I am in Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's why this is, I believe, is so important. This whole discussion is about, is about where our identity lies. Yeah. And this goes back to the gospel then. How do, how does the, what is the gospel solution to this particular wall? How does the the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ inform us as to taking this wall of absolute perspectivism down? Well, good old Paul (laughs) uh, also gives us some insight. In in 2 Corinthians, in the fifth chapter, uh, verse 16, Mm -hmm. um, Paul says that, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Mm-hmm. And, and you brought up the first part of this passage last, last Sunday, that uh, we shouldn't regard others from a wor- worldly point of view. Um, so how should we regard them? We should regard them through God's lens. Mm-hmm. That's how we should regard, regard each other, is through God's lens. And God's lens focuses on... Truth. Mm-hmm. God's lens focuses on truth. It's the world's lens that focuses on opinions. Yeah. It's God's lens that, that focuses on truth. And, and it's that shared truth. Mm-hmm. It's that shared truth that should be the basis of our, of our long, mature friendships and relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think it's this whole subject matter about walls and, and absolute perspectivism... I mean, it's, it's informing to me, especially the events around 9-11, where uh, we uh, you know, get this story about this pastor uh, in um, Florida who has these plans to burn the Koran. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, I do not subscribe to the fundamentals of Islam mm. by any means. That's good. <laughs> Good. You're an elder. You should... I'm on top of it, guys. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Accountability is my friend. <laughs> and um, the word of Christ, um, the word of Christ does not teach me to burn uh, a Muslim sacred text. <laughs> I mean, and so, so I mean, the, the point is this. All right, Jesus wants me to behave in love towards someone whom I would not consider a brother or sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. All right? Um, 
That said, then how much more love and grace and peacemaking uh, must I be participating in with a brother and sister in Christ? Um, So, anyway, uh, Paul says in Galatians, let us do good to all people. Do good to all people. And especially those who belong to the family of God. And I just, I just feel that sometimes we're pretty, we're pretty good at shooting our own. That's right. And so, um, so these walls have to come down. The wall of fear, the wall of absolute perspectivism. Um, what's the sermon in a sentence? Um, I, I thought about it, and uh, I don't have one sentence for you. <laughs> I couldn't get it down to one sentence. Um, um, but where I, where I came to was that, um, you know, I know many of us have walls. I know that the walls that we talked about this morning don't represent all walls that we have. Many of us have other walls. Uh, many of us have had walls for a long time. Many of us can't remember a time when we didn't have walls. Um, Some of us embrace those walls. Some of us feed those walls. But we have to understand that our family is on the other side of that wall. Um, We have brothers and sisters in Christ that are waiting, Mm -hmm. that are desiring friendship. Mm -hmm. Both black, white, Latino, Asian, We can't let those walls stop us from from glorifying God by showing the world that our identity, our first identity, is our identity in Christ. That's our first identity. And when we do that, um, I think it's safe to say that God smiles. Uh, Does Windsor Road have a problem with this? That's a good question, and I, I got a call from someone uh, or this, this past week about, so why are we having this sermon series? Is there something wrong? Did it, an event occur, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, are, we, uh, are we trying to deal with an issue that we found in our church? And, um, and I would say just the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when the question is, are there events in our church that require us to have this conversation, No, I'd say that we're allowed to have this conversation because we're at a point where we can. There are a lot of churches, local churches in our community that that can't have this conversation. Hmm. And uh, you mentioned in an email about this manuscript thing that that I wrote years ago, Uh, but the title of it is is Blacks, Whites, and a Cup of Coffee. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so it's not the best title in the world. But there's a reason for the title. Um, if you've ever gone out to dinner in a group, you've gone out to dinner with a group of people, and you've had your appetizers, and you've had your, mm-hmm. your entree, and then what happens? Well, a group of people leave. Um, they take care of their share of the bill, and they leave. And then there's that group that stays and has a cup of coffee mm-hmm. and uh, talks about tough stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's that group, that cup of coffee group, 
uh, where you talk about things that are controversial, Hmm. that you talk about things that are on your heart, that you talk about things that grow and nurture your friendships. And that's where we are, Windsor Road. We're having a cup of coffee. Hmm. Let this be the safe place where that can happen. Amen. Yeah. Um, you, you got a question after first service here. Um, yeah. Someone asked you how, okay, having, having had this conversation here. What next? Yeah, what next? Well, uh, this is what not next. <laughs> uh, don't find someone of a different race in the hallway and say, I need to be your friend. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Okay. Uh, just want to make that clear. So the point that the point I'm trying to make and uh, is this: is that oftentimes we find ourselves uh, with opportunities to to nurture a friendship, and yet we either knowingly or unknowingly tap the brakes. We put on the brakes. We say, okay. That was a nice conversation. See ya. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm, I'm hoping and challenging us to do is not put on the brakes. Um, Especially when, you, when the Holy Spirit is tapping on the accelerator. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we should not be in a place where um, we're out of fear or out of our walls that we don't allow a relationship a God-ordained relationship um, be confounded by our walls. Um, so that's what this is about. It's about, um, it's about allowing yourselves, allowing ourselves uh, to develop the mature relationships across races when they present themselves. Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Mm.